if you have a Bible at home or here in person, uh, keep it at Ephesians 6. As Caitlin's just read us the text we're going to look at this morning. So we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's just interesting. At least last week, only half of the text was a problem for me personally. I've been a child and I've been a parent. So I violated everything in this text. And I think a little humility um, for families, for parents and children would be in order. Um, I think it's easy in a text like this. Some parents could take this. Oh, you're going to, in 30 minutes, you're going to give me the key for how you can guarantee that my kids are going to grow up and follow Christ and everything's going to be great. No, it's not going to happen. In fact, we read a text in our worship service this morning from Hosea 11, and there are many other passages, particularly in the Old Testament, that speak of, of God as a parent who's, who's has a wayward child called Israel. And the deep hurt and sorrow of, 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 of God and, and the, the passion God had for his children, Israel, but, but, but the children of Israel were wayward and they, they neglected him and they, they ran after other gods. And I think if you're a parent this morning and maybe you have a young adult child who's struggling spiritually, or maybe you have a, a child who's living in your home who's struggling spiritually, you need to understand uh, this text isn't going to miraculously solve that problem, but you have a God who understands exactly what you're going through. I think it's also important to remember as we get into this text that we don't treat this text as sort of this manual for how to fix your family. These verses, just like the verses we looked at last week, are in a context. The context, as as Paul is describing, the redemptive plan of God. How is God going to bring the broken world back under his authority? And we saw in Ephesians 1 and 2 and 3 what, what Jesus had to do on the cross primarily of, Jesus, of dying for us. And, and it's through the death of Christ, through his shed blood, that he, he can bring back the world under his authority. And the church, the, the entire church family, is designed to do that. And last week we looked at marriage is a piece of the church designed to bring the world back under his authority, this, this partnership between one man and one woman that we looked at last week, designed to be this part of the church, being aided and helped by the church to be the conduit for the world to be reunited under the lordship of Christ. And the family is the same, the same thing. You, you've got to have a big vision in order to understand Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. It's not just how to fix your family. You have to understand that in this text, both parents and children are being instructed of how they can conduct themselves in a way that will contribute to the full and, and amazing and dramatic and, and large vision that God has for the world through Jesus Christ to reunite all things under heaven and earth, under his authority, and the family unit has his place to play. I think it's also important that you don't divorce Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 from, from the identity that we are supposed to live in in light of the gospel. And I say this particularly for parents. 
If you try to obey Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 and insist that your children obey you, as Ephesians 6 suggests, divorced from who you are in Christ, you will be a problem parent. Because it is likely, as a parent, that you put your identity in your children. You put your identity in their success. You put your identity in how well they're doing. You do that, shifting your identity from Christ to them, you will be an oppressive parent. And probably depressed. Because your kids are not that much different than you. We sing about it all the time. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I think the other thing that's important to realize is that, yes, this instruction is for a family. Is to realize that it's given in the context of Paul's teaching on the church. In other words, families, you're not alone completely in carrying out these responsibilities. The church has a huge part to play in helping you children and you parents do what we're told here. I'll never forget um, my daughter was in a, in a school here in town and, and some of our friends, their children attended the same school. And uh, one of our French children uh, didn't get off the bus during the first week of school. Needless to say, that parent probably lost 30 years of her life. <laughs> what was my child? Nobody could find the child. Phone calls were made. Prayer chain was alerted for about an hour or so. Nobody knew where this child was. The school didn't have her. Uh, she didn't come off the bus. I mean, we were all panicked. We were freaked out. And what had happened is the child had fallen asleep on the bus. And it lain down. Bus driver didn't see her. Kept right on driving. In fact, the bus driver didn't see the child until he parked the bus and was leaving the bus. And the child woke up, thankfully. Parent and child were reunited. I remember what the headmaster of the school said that night, because that very night there was a back-to-school night. And I remember the, the headmaster got up and said, well, we've learned one thing today. It takes a village to get a child off the bus. Some of you remember Hillary Clinton's book by, by, by that title. And I would just say there's a lot of truth to that African proverb is where that comes from. It takes a village to raise a child because it takes a church community to raise a child in the faith. Yes, the parents have responsibilities. The child has responsibilities. We'll see that in a minute, but it's in the context of the church. And so if you don't have children or your children are all out of the house and you think this text doesn't apply to you, think again. I can't tell you how many adults I've talked to who walked away from the, the church, walked away from Jesus, frankly. Not necessarily because of the parents were so bad. The parents did their job, but it was the poor examples of the other adults that they grew up in in a church that where they said, forget it. So this text is for all of us. Just like last week, I'm not going to be able to answer all the different questions. I'm focusing on my attention mostly on children who are living in your home today. So if you've got adult children, there's, there's probably some application, but it's going to look very different, and I'm not dealing with that. I think it's also true that there are families, unfortunately, 
um, where it is so dysfunctional and destructive, uh, looking at this text absent getting help for that family is probably not, not a good idea. Obviously, if there's any kind of physical or sexual abuse going on in our family, this text overlaid on that is not the right move. But what needs to be done is child protection services needs to be called. And deep help needs to be done for that family. So I'm not really addressing that particular issue. I realize that some of you, um, 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 through, through whatever reasons, it, mom and dad are not necessarily in the home. There's, there's a, a single mother, single father. I think these texts applies to you. So, But again, I won't answer all of the complicating features related to that scenario either. We do want us to see quite clearly that in God's redemptive plan to unite all things under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through his death, these instructions for parents and children we'll look at are part of the way God has designed the family to be part of this grand redemptive act of God. You need to see that. You need to see your identity is rooted in Christ before you really start to apply these texts. And just like last week, um, it's always a challenger for a preacher to preach any text. But in this one, I find myself doubly, triply, and quadruply convicted. Before I dive in, I'll just tell you a, a, a couple stories. Uh, you know, my, my parents were Christians, thankfully, and they were wonderful people. They're probably going to listen to this. Um, later this afternoon. And of course, they're my parents, so every sermon I ever preach is great, so that'll be good. Um, Mom and Dad, thank you (laughs) for all that you did for me, but they know they weren't perfect. I was a very difficult child. I poured my grandmother's Christmas present down the toilet because she dared to discipline me on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. At another Christmas, I told my dad five times in a row he was dumb in front of the whole family. I was disciplined five times. I continued to say it. My mother talks about having to put a broom over me. That explains things, you know. (laughs) My extended family will talk about this was old school. I'm not suggesting this, parents. It's probably not good. It's probably child abuse. But my mouth was washed out with actual soap. When I got mouthy. Listen, I had a big mouth as a kid and I liked to run it. Several times when this happened to me, not that that was the right thing to do, but I ate the soap. So disrespectful I was. I was a nightmare. And by God's grace, he saved me from that. But he used my parents. They weren't perfect, but they did point me to Christ. And that's what... We want to look at today. As a parent, I, 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 I never washed out any of my kids' mouths with soap. That was, I made some improvements. I also remember yelling at my kids, raising my voice when I was doing family devotions. I was actually trying to follow Ephesians 6. No one was listening. Everyone was there. And I remember saying, shut up. We got to learn about the grace of God here. So I violated multiple times this text. I'm sure you have as a parent as well. But we do need to look at it. 
and let it guide us parents. Children, you need this text as well because we are part of a bigger plan of seeing the entire universe reunited under the authority of Christ and this is how the family needs to operate. So let's first look at parents. And parents, I want to give you three responsibilities to think about. Look at verse four. It does say fathers here, so it is to dads, but I think by application can go to moms as well. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first responsibility that I see here for fathers and by extension, all parents, Christian parents, is that you have a, a, a God-ordained responsibility to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That, that word, uh, um, uh, bring them up, is, is the word nourish. It's actually used in the marriage passage. To nourish your child, to help them understand who God is, who Christ is, what Christ has done, what God has done, to give them a biblical vision for what God is all about. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The main role for a Christian parent is to articulate often, over and over again, repetitively, creatively, powerfully, winsomely, is to share with your child the beauty and glory of who God is. And of course, it will benefit you greatly if that vision of who God is and what he's done is something you're living out simultaneously. There's nothing worse between trying to show the beauty and glory of God, but then you have a mom and a dad who who aren't really consistently living in light of that vision. Now, how you do that, and and, and it, it changes as your children get older, how you do that and exactly how you do that, I think that's going to be left up to you. But what I would suggest to you, that you have to have some intentional plan for how you're going to share with your child the beauty and glory of who God is. The word of God should be read in your household. The word of God should be discussed in your household. We provide these discussion questions. Lindsay was just talking about it. So that you can discuss the word of God with your family, with your children. That ought to be happening. But it's not simply in sort of structured family devotional time, and that's part of it. You have to be ready as a parent to interact with your child as they grow up and provide in time a connection with them when they ask the difficult questions, when they talk to you, when they have concerns, when they're going through difficulties, that you're there ready to point them to Christ. And this gets really problematic when your, te- when your teens get older because they never want to talk to you at a convenient time, in my experience. You know, it's midnight. Hey, Dad. And then there's a question. But you've got to be ready. You've got to get out of bed. You gotta, whatever you've got to do. Intervenous coffee, whatever you've got to do. Wake up and instruct. It's absolutely crucial 
as parents, we hold out for our child a grand vision of what God is up to, who he is and what he's done. And I have to warn you, parents, you can't force your kids to believe what you tell them. You can't force your kids to become believers. It doesn't work that way. Ephesians was all about that. God's going to have to choose and God's going to have to draw them and God's going to have to open up their hearts and minds. You can't manipulate this to happen, but you are called, we are all called as parents to put out the word of God faithfully instructing our children formally with formal times of intentional, but also the informal times. That is part of our role. That is part of our responsibility to see the world reunited in a family under the authority of God. Well, that's part of the instruction, right, that says here, but there's also a discipline. I'm kind of putting that all into one category. You're responsible to instruct and discipline your child according to the ways of God's word. So discipline is part of that. Part of, of, of your parenting has to be providing some contours of discipline to help your child grow up and mature. He was the Duke of Windsor who quipped after visiting America. He said, the thing that impresses me most about Americans is the way parents obey their children. There's a strain of parenting these days. It's just says, you know, they're blank slates. Just let them develop. No, your child, let me just help you out. The Bible is very clear. Your children are totally depraved. So are you, but they, but they are, right? You know that's true because why do two-year-olds defy their parents? Why is the first word that the kid know, learns is, is not the name of their, you know, daddy, mommy? It's no. They're little rebels. You need to instruct. You need to discipline. You need to have a set of family rules. Now, again, that's going to be different for every family, and that's going to change as the child gets older, but you have to have some kind of family rules that help the child move from, uh, you know, you know, this totally depraved rebel to become a responsible member of society. And part of that is providing some discipline, direction. But above all that, is bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To preach and teach and live the gospel before them. That is the most crucial priority for every parent. Well, that's the first way for parents to do this. The second thing I, I want to encourage parents is right in the text. And again, it's, it's directed to fathers, but I think by extension, we could apply it to moms. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's a real danger with moms and dads to provoking your child to anger. You can do that, right? Now, that, that doesn't mean um, that you shrink back from disciplining or you shrink back from sharing the gospel and, and teaching them the way of God and having this intentional and then the, this sort of uh, uh, unintentional ways you, you, you share, share the truth about who God is. No, you're not, you're not shrinking back from that, but there is a, a chance uh, and it's, it's possible for moms and dads to exasperate your children to anger, to complicate the whole process. I'm going to deal with just a couple of these. If you, if you get on the internet, 
to Google tonight. If you pay the dads, moms, if you want to say how do how do parents exacerbate their children? No, there'll be a, a list of thousands of things you do wrong. Right? I'm going to only give you a few here. One of the ways moms and dads, and or if you're a single mom or single dad, that you make life difficult to, for your family is that you have uh, very inconsistent ways you enforce the family discipline in your home. I'll give you an example of one of these things. We had kind of some house rules, no football and sports in the living room of our home. It's a pretty fair rule, right? Well, sometimes one of my children's parents, I'm not going to say who it was, would allow Worldwide Wrestling Federation to happen in the living room. And then sometimes it was illegal, and so it was, it's very inconsistent. It's frustrating to a child. It's frustrating to a child, too, if, if parents are not unified on sort of a reasonable fairness in terms of the execution of the family rules. That's very frustrating. I'll tell you, one way to exasperate your children to anger is your own anger yourself. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And our anger, disciplining your child in anger, um, saying things in anger, things, things that have been thoughtlessly do real damage. And you put 18 years of that, you can hurt a child significantly because your own anger is not under control. Jesus is a parent also, one way you exasperate your children, children is, is that everything that the, child, the parent typically says is fairly critical. I mean, you look at your child and, and you see 50 things they need to fix. It's probably true. Of course, parents forget you, 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 you have 87 things you need to fix, but they got 50 and you try to deal with all 50 at the same time. So what you end up doing is you correctly point out the deficiencies in your child over and over and over again, but there's a lack of encouragement. It's all negative. It's all critical. The child is living in a situation where he can hardly do anything to have his parents say, good job. You got to watch that, parents. Is, do you have a balance of admonishment, a balance of encouragement. And of course, another way we exasperate our children is through our own hypocrisy. If we are holding out the reality of who God is and what he does as the most important thing for our child to grasp, if that's the focus, the vision, reuniting everything under the authority of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, if that's the massive focus of our life, and yet at the same time in our own life, we're not functionally putting our identity in Christ. It's in our work. We're not functionally putting our identity in Christ where he's the center of everything we do. We've put it in our child's academic progress. And any of a hundred other ways where we say this is what's most important, but we live and parent and, and live our own lives as if these other things were far more important than Christ. It exasperates your child. The third responsibility, parents, you, if you haven't noticed last week, you know, you, you, if you haven't noticed, parents, to do this job, you can't do it apart 
from the filling of the Holy Spirit. That goes up back to Ephesians 5, which we talked about last week in relationship to husbands and wives. You will never be able to instruct and discipline in the Lord and not exasperate your children as much. You will never be able to do those two things unless you are constantly on your knees asking God by his Holy Spirit to fill you with his Spirit to control every reaction, every word, every uh, approach. Because in our own strength, this is just not going to come naturally. Well, enough about parents, let's get to kids. Children, I'm going to give you four things. I'm sorry, but your children. Your parents, I can give them three things. They're, they're, I don't know, there's just four things here for you children. Number one, for children, your responsibility in this unit, the family, to bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse two, honor your father and mother. The first thing, children, right? And I'm I'm talking to those who are, you know, you need to honor your parents at all times, but I'm fully focused on, you know, kind of 18 and under. You have a responsibility to honor your father and mother. And what that means is you honor your father and mother by, 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 by having an attitude that, that gives weight to your parents because they've been given to you by God and they are your authorities. It's an attitude when it says honor. It's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that says, this is the person that God's given me to help me in this life. And I will honor their position. I will have an attitude that respects them, who they are, their position before God. I will give weight to everything that they say. I will honor them in my attitude. That's the first thing. It's hard to do. It's hard. It's hard not because you're a child. It's hard because uh, we live in a culture, but because of sin, which has broken every relationship. As children, when we we grow up, most of us we just don't want anybody telling us to do. We don't want to have any authority in charge of us, so to speak. And it's difficult for us to honor and give weight to our parents. think about this text. I'm ashamed of what I thought about my parents. I grew up in the 1970s, the greatest decade in the history of the world. Not fashion-wise, it was a disaster anyway, but in many other ways. But I remember, and my parents were good, good, good. They, were, they cared about me. They were trying to follow Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. But I often thought my parents were, would have been great parents if they'd been parenting me in 1670s. I thought they were old-fashioned. I thought they didn't get it. I thought time had passed them by. I mean, you know, you have to wonder about parents who, who sing songs like, who put the bop in the bop she bop she bop Who put the ram in the ram-a-lam-a-ding-dong? I mean, how could you take instruction from that? But I didn't honor my parents. I didn't have an attitude of submission, an attitude of giving weight to them. And that caused lots of complications for me. It did. Made life difficult in my family. Honor. It's an attitude. It's a heart attitude. 
that says, I acknowledge that God has put this person in my life to lead me, to guide me, and I will have an attitude of, sub- of submission, yes, of, 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 of listening to what they say. I'm not going to try to oppose everything they say because I want to be in charge. Second thing for children. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. You have a responsibility not only to honor your parent in your attitude, but you have a responsibility to respond to that honoring of your parents by obeying them, doing what they say. Now, obviously, if your parents ask you to do something evil, you know, you won't, you should oppose that, right? And if you got questions about that, you can, you know, call, you know, Lindsay Lansky or our children's director, you call Michael. But the reality is most Christian parents are not going to ask you to do something actually evil, but we don't obey. When I was a child, sometimes I obeyed, but I didn't obey cheerfully. That's not what the text is saying. You obey cheerfully. You obey in a timely manner. I did this all the time to my mom. My mom would call me to dinner and I would say, coming, which meant I'm thinking about coming. She would call again. She'd call again. She'd call again. And finally, she would raise her voice to the, you know, where I knew oh, that bad things might happen. Force my mom to raise her voice because I wouldn't do what God simply asked me to do. For what? We obey cheerfully, immediately, without the rolling of the eyes. Oh, teenagers are so good at rolling the eyes. Hey, kids, we need to do this. Obedience is cheerful. It's immediate with an honoring attitude that goes with it. That's interesting. The third thing I want to tell the kids, children is this, is, is verse two, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. What Paul is doing is he's quoting from the Ten Commandments. This commandment was given to Israel, the people of God at the time, and they had been given promises that if they obeyed God, they could stay in the land. If they disobeyed God, they would be ejected from the land. Well, now as the people of God now, we're, we don't have a land that, that, that we have title to. But he's by application saying, when we honor children, when you honor your father and mother, when you obey your mom and dad, immediately, cheerfully, with a spirit of honoring of them, things will go better for you. And this is really important, children, because I hate to tell you, but your mom and dad might be the best authority figures you will ever have in this life. The reality is, if you can't learn to honor and, 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 and obey your parents, guess what? After you get out of your house, you're going to have a boss or maybe multiple bosses who are half crazy, some of them. You're going to have to work in the workplace where you're, you're not in charge of the thing. And, you, and if you don't know how to obey and honor a boss who you don't always agree with, guess what? You're going to have a hard time keeping a job. You're going to have a hard time getting promoted. You're going to have civil authorities the rest of your life that always do, don't always do things that you think are right. You're going to have church leadership 
some group of elders sometime, if you're in the church, that are going to do things you don't agree with. And if you don't learn to honor and obey in an appropriate way, your rest of your life is going to be a misery. And it's not going to go too well with you. You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to miss promotions. You're going to, you're, you're going to get fired if you don't watch it. Your parents, in a reasonably healthy home, they actually love you. And they are sort of responsible to keep you fed and keep you under a roof. None of the other authorities that you're going to run into have a responsibility like that. Shocking to me, although not, not that shocking to me because I was a kid myself. When I worked at Chick-fil-A, most of our staff was under the age of 18. And I just couldn't believe the kinds of just basic insubordination. Even the owner-operator would give an instruction. And people in front of his face goes, oh my God, that's, what do I, that's crazy, man. Yeah. I wonder how they felt when they were walking out in the parking lot without a job right after that. Get fired for stuff like that. I think of my own self, this is a silly example, but I got thrown out of my living room when I was 14 years old. I was ejected from watching the Dallas Cowboys in a playoff game because I couldn't keep myself under control. I was ejected from the game, sent to my room, came out a couple of hours later when I was let out of my room only to find out that the Cowboys had a miraculous comeback and I missed the greatest comeback in Dallas Cowboy history. That's what happens. I'm not silly. That happens over and over and over again if you don't learn to obey and honor. One more little project I'll give to parents and children as well. Having said that, I do think it's really important to help your child learn how to appeal to authority when they really think you're off the rails. Appealing to authority is, is, is a very important skill. You can look at the book of Daniel, maybe get some ideas of how Daniel appeared to his authorities. But parents, children, you need to work on this because one of the important skills you will need to have, since we don't believe that all authority is sort of, you know, absolutes in some sense, you do have a responsibility, even when you're under authority, to uh, within an honoring attitude, you can always go to your, your boss or the authorities and appeal to them in a Christ-honoring way. And that's a skill that many people just don't seem to have. Lastly, children, if you haven't noticed, you're not going to be able to do this, any of these three things, honor, obey, experience this great promise if we learn to honor and obey without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this in your own strength. So by the grace of God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray in just a second here for parents that you can fulfill your responsibility. I want to pray for children that you can fulfill your responsibility so that families can be this place where the redemptive plan of God is worked out as part of what he's doing in the church. I also want to pray for us as a church. Parents and children are not going to be able to do this on their own either. 
Michael uh, Sentence and Lindsay Luciano, part of our uh, children's and youth ministry team, are working on developing a set of mentors, parenting mentors, so some parents can get some input. You're going to need that. It's important to have other adult models who are working in youth ministry, who are working in children's ministry, who are getting to know the children and youth of our church so they can reinforce what's happening at home. And parents, get ready for this. This drove me crazy when I was a parent. You teach your children, you say to your children a thousand times, this is what God says about this issue. Your kid says, I don't buy it. That worked in the 1670s. We're now in, in, we're in a new, we're new era. One young adult who's a lot cooler and hipper than I was, closer to the age of my children, would meet with them as part of the youth ministry and tell them the very same thing that I said a thousand times. And it took one time and my child was like, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I really agree with him. He's saying great stuff. And when that happens, you, you have to resist the t- temptation to say, I said it to you a thousand times. Just, That's great. Great insight. We're going to need to do this together. And like I said with marriage, Satan, the world, and our flesh is going to fight the family to the death. If he can keep the gospel from being transmitted to the next generation, however he can do it, he will. And we got to unite together to do this because the entire redemptive plan of God is sort of, is being worked out in the family. So let me pray for us. Dear Father in heaven, I want to pray for moms and dads. I want to pray that you would help them to take on the responsibility and to execute the responsibility they have to present the beauty and glory of God's redemptive plan to their children. Give them a plan to do this intentionally. Give them wisdom when it happens spontaneously. Give them the words to say, may they nourish their kids through the narrative of what God is doing in the world. I also pray that you'd help parents to be able to discipline their children appropriately, graciously, but firmly. I pray that you would help dads in particular, but moms and dads, not to exasperate their children. Deliver us, Lord, for the different ways we make life difficult for our kids, for our anger that's inappropriate at times, for our unpredictability when the rules are one way on Monday and a different way on Wednesday, when we have too much anger, when we have too much criticism, not enough encouragement, when we're either overly involved in their lives in a controlling way or under-involved because we're not spending enough time, Lord. Forgive us for the different ways in which we try to put our identity in our children and live out our identity through them. And Lord, I pray for parents, Lord, that they would get on their knees and recognize they cannot do this in their own strength. They need the power of the Holy Spirit and and the rest of the body of Christ to help. Lord, I pray for children. Help them to learn to honor with an honoring attitude their moms and dads who God has placed in their lives. I pray that they would learn to obey cheerfully, immediately, completely. 
I pray that you would help children to understand the promise that it, that, that it will go well with them if they learn to submit to authority in an appropriate way. I pray that you should help them to learn how to appeal to authority so that when they're in the workplace and when they're under church authority, when they're, when they're under the authority of the civil, uh, you know, civil authorities, they will be able to relate to authority in a Christ-honoring way with an attitude of submission and honoring uh, actual obedience when appropriate that they will know how to appeal to authority in a winsome way. And I pray for children as well to help them realize they cannot do this in their own strength. They also need the filling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. Lord, help our families. Uh, We know they're under assault from the evil one, from the world, the flesh. Satan doesn't want any part of seeing the gospel go to the next generation. He will do anything he can to upend that. I pray by God's grace, you would overcome his efforts, the world's efforts, even our own selfish and and, and bad parenting that, that, that we will exhibit at times. I pray that you would overcome that. To see people coming together in unity under the Lordship of Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.